It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. We got a big hour coming your way. First time I've ever spoke to the coach, Senator Tommy Tuberville will be live. And General Jack Keane, if you want to know what's going on and the challenges we face as a country, uh, the general puts politics aside and talks about our national defense. General Jack Keane coming your way. And tonight will be a big night because we know the uh, President of the United States will be exp- uh, expressing to us where he sees the country 100 days in. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. It's so frustrating to me as an attorney general and vice president harris was an attorney general at one point she has to understand the impact of her inaction and what it's what's happening here on the border it's unbelievable and she does and she doesn't care the the cost of ignoring joe biden kamala harris uh excuse me the cost of ignoring the Joe Biden-Kamala Harris supervised catastrophe at our border and how we must do everything to make sure it's not ignored and it's ultimately the Democratic undoing. Number two. If you're fully vaccinated and you're outdoors and not in a big crowd, you no longer need to wear a mask. If you're in a crowd like a stadium or at a conference or a concert, you still need to wear a mask not if you're outside. Unbelievable. Joe Biden gave us permission to walk alone without a mask. Wow. Fantastic. Okay. Hey, attention, Mr. President. We're doing that. 18 states have already gotten rid of the mask mandate. We're walking alone without a mask. You're the one who's not. New rules as the pandemic wanes. The CDC is showing us they are thoroughly politicized as their guidelines are already outdated and contradictory in many ways, insulting in every way. Someone is desperate for us not to get back to our lives. Number one. This is going to be the weirdest congressional speech by a president in American history. It's going to be a virtually empty room. I think it tells you a lot about this administration. Yeah, I would say so. 101 days and the first joint session tonight address. It should have been a long time ago, by the way. What can we expect to hear and the state, as I see, of this union? So first off, what can we expect? Well, 100 days in, he's going to say how great he is. He's going to say how much he's gotten done. And then he's going to unveil another spending program. I know. Hold on to something tight. Pull over to the side of the road if you don't. If you start seeing two things and seeing uh, and start seeing red. Remember, they had $1.9 trillion stimulus plan that we didn't need because we just got $900 billion in December. Do you know, by the way, that part of that is the supplement for the unemployment insurance that stops small businesses from being able to hire people because they're getting paid so much not to work. By the way, it's all written on overdraft. We don't have this money. Do you remember the $2.3 trillion he pitched for infrastructure that we're now negotiating and talking about? You were staggered by that, right? Well, get ready for this. He's going to unveil a $1.8 trillion family plan. $1.8 trillion. He's going to pay for it with $1.5 trillion of tax hikes on anyone that's ever been successful. Okay, what do you got? Free pre-K, not free to you. It's going to cost you a lot of money. $200 billion. Remember, we're going to get free junior college as if there isn't financial aid for those people who are financially distressed. I had financial aid. 
When I went to college, it would have been virtually free if I went to junior college. For those who can't afford it, there's financial aid out there, and there's academic scholarships out there. And believe it or not, there's athletic scholarships out there for junior college. I'm not kidding. There are. He's going to have a spending tax plan that will have an increase in Pell Grants. Okay. They're going to have – I mentioned free pre-K, I hope. Just in case I didn't, I'll mention it again. Overall, when you look at the spending and the child tax credits and what they're offering, you have a re-engineering of our society. Douglas Holtz Eakin, a respected economist, says the role he's restructuring the role of government in our lives. And then he's going to say, I'd like to legalize 11 million people here illegally. Really? Forget it. Number one, the number's like 25 million people here illegally. You've already left 500,000 in already. More than came in all of last year illegally through a border you won't fix. Senator John Kennedy, cut to. President Biden is, is a modest man. But he's a modest man with much to be modest about, given his, his record, which in the first 100 days borders on radicalism. I mean, think about it. Uh, he supports massive tax increases. He honestly believes that the federal government can spend the money you earn better than you can. Deficits and debt don't seem to matter to the president. He loves spending taxpayer money. He loves it like the devil loves sin. And I go on. You know, what's going to be happening out there? is they're not going to be a full chamber of about 1,000 people. You're certainly not going to have the 535 lawmakers. You know what you're going to have? You're going to have about 200 people. Many of the Republicans are just staying home because they said the restrictions are too great. And, you know, if it's a big event, I'll go. Maybe if I have to miss because of personal reasons. But, you know, i got a responsibility despite who the president is, like him or not. But a lot of them are just staying home. They're like, look at the restrictions we got to go through to get here. Forget it. You guys go. You stand up and sit down. It is going to be bizarre. Representing the Supreme Court, the Chief Justice, that's about it. Not going to have any person hitting behind in case there's a lone survivor and an attack on the Capitol, God forbid. So the CIA Director William Burns got my attention because I know that in the 101 days, Joe Biden is uh, nursing an economy that's recovering despite anything anyone did. Because you destroyed it a year ago because we pulled it to the side of the road. Now we're putting it into the road and the spending's not been felt yet. So we're going to have a recovering economy, but it'll limp along instead of soaring along. Along the way, CIA Director William Burns yesterday made pretty clear we got some challenges overseas. He brought up North Korea, Iran, uh, Russia, and China. And I'll get into detail with General Jack Keane next. I'm also very concerned about the way we're leaving Afghanistan. I don't think we should be leaving at all. Among the people that will not be there tonight, Tom Cotton, Josh Hawley, Marco Rubio, um, uh, those who will not be attending, Mitch McConnell, Kevin McCarthy, top GOP leaders in Congress will be attending, but uh, the top GOP, I should say this, Senator Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy, the top GOP leaders, will be attending his speech. Steve Scalise will not be in Washington due to pre-scheduled uh, obligations, and we'll see who else is uh, not going on the Democratic side. On the border, real quick, because I'll stick with... Um, the guidelines on the CDC a little bit later, you know that the vice president's done nothing good, done nothing at all. Now they're going to write a $300 million check to, I believe, Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador to keep their people there. So it worked. If I let my people storm the border and create chaos in America, I will get hundreds of millions of dollars. Here's Kamala Harris. 
talking about what she thinks is the reason why people migrate to America. Cut 21. And as you, of course, know, the people of Guatemala have been suffering greatly because of the recent hurricanes, the persistent drought, and, of course, the, the damage from COVID-19. And as we have discussed, these are the acute factors that, in many ways, are causing people to leave their homes, despite the fact that they would probably prefer to stay. No. If you wanted to leave and just go to Mexico, I mean, you'd have to have a passport. You got to get back and forth. You want to go to Canada, you got to get a passport. You got to go to another country, you got to get a passport. They're leaving your country and you're allowing them to. You're not controlling your border and creating chaos on our border. We shouldn't be writing you a check, Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, Venezuela, wherever. That should not be happening. But now we're writing that check. They have not secured their border. That's not part of this deal. Mexico's not securing their border. We haven't threatened tariffs on them. That worked the first time. It's not this time because he blew up that deal. Uh, We'll discuss all that and why their policy of the border has blown up any hope of immigration reform for a great reason, because no Republican would ever sit down at the table unless there was some secure border uh, information like building a wall we already paid for. When we come back, General Jack Keene will join us. Uh, He's going to be talking about the challenges that the CIA director outlined yesterday. And 100 days, how's Joe Biden doing? A lot to discuss. 1-866-408-7669. We'll get to it at 45 after. Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie. Formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services. Marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now, you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. 
In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in Blue Collar Trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. There are Republicans on the Hill who are going to give Kerry the benefit of the doubt because this this is hearsay. But it's believable given the way Kerry has acted. And I have to tell you, whether it's proved or not, the Israelis are going to believe this is true and it's mm-hmm. going to further damage the relationship between the U.S. and Israel, which President Biden is already making uh, a, a real problem because of his his. Uh, desperation to get back into the nuclear deal. Fred Fights, National Security Advisor, longtime aide to uh, John Bolton, weighing in on what he knows about John Kerry and the talk that uh, Zarif said in a documentary that John Kerry, when he was Secretary of State, told Zarif of Iran, the foreign minister, there's been at least 200 Israeli responsible attacks on Iranian forces directly or the ones they sponsored indirectly in Syria alone. Uh, General Jack Keane joins us right now, retired four-star general. General, uh, why would Zarif say something like this from what you know if it wasn't true? Well, first of all, I, I don't really accept the fact that Foreign Minister Zarif is going to make statements that are always true and, and, and make statements that are at times want to harm the United States. So uh, I, I don't put a lot of veracity in Foreign Minister Zarif. He's, he represents a, a rogue, evil regime. And a lot of what comes out of their mouths are, are phony lies. But when it comes to this, I think uh, what has people concerned is because there's a pattern of behavior with Secretary Kerry having a very cozy, close relationship with Foreign Minister Sharif while they uh, while he was Secretary of State in in uh, shown in negotiating the nuclear deal. But much to everyone's surprise, he maintained that relationship when he was no longer Secretary of State, meeting him many times uh, during the Trump administration's tenure, so much so that the Department of State called him out, and as did Secretary of State Pompeo, for likely colluding with uh, Foreign Minister Sharif, which was a, an incredible charge um, by a Secretary of State against a former one, and, and in the sense that Kerry was believed to be telling Sharif, look, at wait out the Trump administration with these sanctions, and uh, you'll get a friendlier administration in next time, and you will be able to work back to the nuclear deal that uh, we originally signed in 2015 that Trump got out of in 2018. So that, I think, really is the reason that colors the story, because we don't know what the facts are here. Uh, Kerry certainly denies it. Uh, Zarif obviously made a uh, an art was doing an oral history, so that and and it was he thought it was going to be archived as opposed to public release. But certainly his his critics or enemies have have, have made made this release to politically disqualify him, and they likely probably have succeeded. But that's the pattern of behavior, and I think that's why people have such concern about it. Yep. Look at the public statements on Israeli air attacks in Syria began to come out in 2017 by Netanyahu himself when he was speaking to foreign leaders at a conference, and he had a hot mic. And then one of his officials 
that year confirmed a, about 100 or so attacks. Uh, Netanyahu had mentioned dozens. And then in 2018, a senior Israeli official mentioned 200 attacks in 2018 on, on Syrian targets. So that, that really got everybody's attention then. We don't know when these remarks supposedly were made by Kerry to Sarif, which also was a, a, another factor in this story. So let's talk about something we do know. U.S. sailors fired warning shots to ward off harassing Iranian ships. That also happened a few days ago. We used evasive uh, maneuvers. This time we shot over the bow and they eventually pulled away. Here we go again, right? General, when you go to talk to the Iranians, they look at his weakness, it seems. Well, I mean, we haven't had any of these incidents, largely because <laughs> the Iranians knew full well that President Trump made a public statement, uh, I think it was likely in a tweet, that he had he had told the Navy uh, if, uh, if, if these uh, harassment attacks continue to fire on him. And as a result of that, they pretty much shut down. And so they're recurring again. Look, if the Iranians do this because they know it gets a huge media attention, and they, they also are sending a message to uh, the region itself that they're still a powerful country in the region. They believe they're the most powerful one. And they and see, we can intimidate and harass the United States. Uh, the, the, the countries in the region don't buy all of that. They know the United States is a strategic partner. They know the United States has a dominating military over the Iranians and certainly a maritime superiority over them. And I think we're making the right call. The Navy commanders uh, are saying when they get as close as they are, you, you've got to exercise some fire and don't wait for some kind of mishap to take take place. That's for sure. And and if we have to actually uh, shoot at these vessels because they won't turn away, um, our, our people out there have rules of engagement, you know, to deal with that, and and those are classified. But they'll they they have they have lines which are clearly red lines if you're a right. ship at sea, and you have a, a patrol boat heading right towards you. Certainly, uh, they're going to act accordingly. So the CIA director William Burns put together a document summarizing intelligence that China, Iran. Uh, Russia and North Korea have demonstrated the capability and intent to advance their interests at the expense of the United States and its allies. China sees a geopolitical shift away from the U.S. and preparing to fight wars in space, at sea, and on land. Russia is weak in everything except new weapons and present increased threats. Iran will take risks that could escalate tensions in the Middle East. North Korea will be a WMD threat for the foreseeable future. Do you doubt any of these statements? No. Um I just I, I believe the China statement uh, is probably a little understated um, in the sense that President Xi is the most ambitious and the most aggressive uh, leader since Mao Zedong, and and what makes him very different, Mao Zedong was was creating a revolutionary government, uh, toppling the nationalist government, and was focused inward. Um, and President Xi, while also focused inward, certainly uh, has a huge global view to replace the United States uh, as the leading, uh, as the world's dominant leader and replace the international order, which has been in existence since the post-World War II. And he wants his own sphere of influence uh, to replace it. And that, that ambition and that aggression is driving 
most of its activities in, in out of the gates and ready to go hey it's Hutton with Roe. hot mike is here on the outkick network we've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion and it's available wherever you find your audio daily analysis and news he is hot i am mike actually my <laughs> name is chad his name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. The Western Pacific, the South China Sea, the harassment of, of Taiwan is economic, predatory, mercantilism uh, in how yeah. we dominates countries economically. The huge cyber, massive cyber espionage campaign that they are conducting on a regular basis. The most massive thing from China against the United States that I think that's ever been conducted by one country against against another, certainly uh, in recent modern history since those capabilities have existed. So I think that's a little understated in terms of China. Unbelievable. Do you think Biden, uh, we only have 20 seconds left, do you think Biden under, the Biden administration understands this? I think generally speaking, they understand that China, they got to take a tough stand on China, that Trump was right about that. You'll never give them a lot of credit for it, certainly. I'm still have an open question whether they're mentally tough enough to deal uh, with the with the potential confrontations uh, that are coming, and, and and it remains to be seen. The rhetoric has been good. The meetings with the uh, key allied leaders, the Japanese yep. prime minister here, all of that's solid. Well, but. It, it remains to be seen gotcha. how tough-minded they're going to be. General Jackine, thanks. Tommy Tummerville next. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. They're only going to have 200 people in the entire room. Now this this is a room which can easily hold virtually a thousand or more people. But they have decided for COVID reasons, and this is a president <laughs> whose pathological concern about COVID is almost bizarre. Uh, for COVID reasons, the, each party, the 50 House Republicans, 50 House Democrats, 50 Senate Democrats, 50 Senate Republicans, that's it. Um, House members got a note that said, if you're not on the invitation list, this. don't come because we won't let you in. This is going to be the weirdest congressional speech by a president in American history. It's going to be a virtually empty room. It's true. Uh, Senator Tommy Tuberville, this is your rookie year, appearing at the joint sessions. Uh, the Republican from Alabama, a member of the Senate Armed Services Committee. Uh, Senator, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thank you, Brian. Glad to be on. Are you going to be there? I will be there early and uh Late. Of course, it'll only last for about 20 minutes. Uh, uh, he's not going to be able to get up there and talk that long or read that long off the teleprompter. But uh, uh, it's been an interesting three or four months, Brian, to be honest with you. We've uh, we've seen the uh, destruction of, of our society uh, go down very fast. And uh, Republicans, other than we fight back, and you can't fight with words, uh, they've got our t- hands tied behind our back. They've got all three branches and uh, you know as well as i do uh, they have taken advantage of it and uh, they're running 
as hard as they can to the finish line. So this is a story today. They say Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer are channeling their members and are telling the White House to go as far left as the votes will bear. Ignore the Republicans. Make whatever modest compromises you need to with Joe Manchin and ram it through. The Senate filibuster may stop some of this, but not because Biden opposed it. He is he is not. He's just giving a green light to the new Green Deal and every liberal idea, left of liberal idea, that's out there. I am surprised at the level of spending and left-wing politics. Were you? Oh, well, I'm, I'm surprised that uh, that they're doing this much. Yep. Uh, but, you know, it, it was all about unity, Brian. We're going to bring everybody together. But the the American people got uh, got snookered uh, at the end of the day. Uh, they, they voted for a guy that was supposed to be moderate and— the left, uh, the Marxist group, has absolutely taken control. And, I, and it's hard for me to understand, uh, being in the Senate now, I can look over to the other side, and I know there's some Democrats there. I know they're there, but they won't stand up. They will not stand up to this leftist socialism that uh, is actually taking our country over. They've destroyed our education. They've destroyed our health care, our border, our immigration system, our economy. President Trump had this. We, we, we were rolling. And, of course, the pandemic hit. And. President Trump was going to overcome the pandemic. We'd have probably been over this by now. Hopefully we'd had some of these liberal states open. But the 200 people tonight are just a, an advertisement to the leftist states, New York, uh, Illinois, California, to say, listen, it's not over. Keep it closed. Don't let anybody go back to work. Keep kids home from school. All this is a, is a national advertisement that we want to continue to control. It's about greed and power. That's all this is. And you're getting that, you know, you, people might think that on the outside, but you're on the inside and you say it's happening. We have an example. We know there's two things that I know go against most coaches. We're all about, uh, in sports, you're about meritocracy. May the best player play. And when people are successful, you don't resent them. You respect them. You learn from them. He's creating resentment for those who have broken through as if, we inherit success in life. You don't inherit success. 99% of the new millionaires in this country are first generation because we maybe work harder, you get lucky, absolutely, and then you, you make that a seven-day-a-week operation. You sacrifice, you work hard, and then you hear you got to give up $6 of every $10 you make. It's the wrong message, and I worry about that. Do you? Oh, the wrong message is, a, is an understatement. Uh, and we can't figure out how far left they're going to go. It's again, we're there every day fighting. Uh, I talk to Joe Manchin, Krista Sinema every day. We're, we're trying to uh, just figure out where y'all going with this because we've lost everybody else. Uh, they're on they're on the on, on the roller coaster. They just want to be reelected. Who is going to stand up? One of those two there can save this country. I've never seen the division, and and I think they're they're trying to drive that stake in the ground to divide this country. This country is nothing but a huge team, Brian. You know that, and we're always going to have differences. But my gosh, at the end of the day, there's got to be some some uh, come together, uh, some unity, uh, some believing in in the the sanctity of of who we are, our constitution. That is out the door, and I'm telling you, this, this scary. Uh, it is a scary moment because they're going to raise tonight. This 15, 30 minute talk will be nothing but about giving to people that want to stay at home and raising taxes on the people that have built this country, and it's and it's wrong. Uh, and the Democrats know it, but they want to be up here. They want to be in the elite. They want to have power, 
And that's the direction we're going. And unfortunately, we can't stop it. But two people can't. Joe Manchin and Christian Sinema. Well, and uh, yeah. if one of them stands up, we, we've got a chance, Brian. If one of them stands up, we've got a chance. One eight, uh, $1.8 trillion family plan is going to be rolled out. He's going to give free community college. He's going to give free pre-K. He is going to have tax credits. He's going to increase the Pell Grant for people. Uh, by the way, the free pre-K, $200 million uh, he's going to be uh, putting into that. So uh, he is going to do that by raising taxes on everyone that makes over $400,000, and he's going to be uh, doubling the income. Um, uh, he's going to be uh, doubling taxes uh, in some places. So in the end, we're not going to pay for all of it, but he's going to raise some of it. But he thinks we're going to, uh, he thinks we're going to grow the economy by taxing the economy, make it a fairer country. Do you think he's making it a fairer country? Well, no, no. But here's what this is all about. Uh, and I grew up uh, in the last 40 years or worked the last 40 years in education, Brian. Uh, they want to take control of these kids as soon as they're born in child care and start indoctrinating them into, into things like socialism and, and, uh, and, and all the things that go along with it. And so the more they've got them under their wing uh, at a younger age, by the time they get first, second, third grade, we've lost them. It's over with. And they've got their voters. They've got their power base. And uh, they're going to have them all the way through uh, our master's program. So it's uh, it, it's 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 all a plan. Uh, it's not Joe Biden's plan. It's somebody's plan in the background. And uh, but the whole thing is t- to take control of this country, put everybody on a government check. And when they do that, they're going to be able to get your uh, get your vote. Right. And, uh, you know, We've got to overcome that somehow. And if a Republicans uh, take power, they're going to say, well, look, they're taking it away from you. They're taking away free period K. They're taking away uh, uh, free community college. But by the way, nothing's free. And if you keep in mind, too, and you know this, you go to a junior college. If you are of meager means, and I was somebody who got maximum financial aid, and then if you get good grades, you get some uh, some fi- uh, academic aid. And if you're an athlete with some with some promise, don't necessarily have to be Trevor Lawrence, you can get some athletic money. But it's an opportunity to be successful. Community college is affordable by definition. And that's always been the case. Now they want to say, okay, we will pay for it, but they're going to tax other people to pay for it. And then they're going to, of course, have to pay for all their teachers because they're paying for the college. So I want to switch a little bit uh, and talk about the coronavirus. Joe Biden made this announcement yesterday. Cut eight. And because of the extraordinary progress we've made in fighting this virus, if you're fully vaccinated and you're outdoors, you need, and not in a big crowd, you no longer need to wear a mask. I want to be absolutely clear. If you're in a crowd, like a stadium or at a conference or a concert, you still need to wear a mask, even if you're outside. And he walks out with a mask to say, I don't need a mask in the outside. If you want people to get vaccinated, why, what changes for them if they're vaccinated, Senator? And what do you think about him crawling along with his loosening up of the restrictions? Most states are ahead of those statements. You've got to be awarded uh, something. If you're going to get the vaccination, that's why we have probably 30, 40 percent of people across this country that are not getting the vaccination because you're not rewarded for it. Uh, We've all had it, uh, had the vaccination here in in Congress. And, of course, as I heard Newt Gingrich say a while ago, you can fit a thousand people. We're going to have 200. uh, And 
it's it's going it's going to be very different. But we, we we again, it goes back to one thing. You know, Operation Warp Speed got it done. We got the vaccines. President Trump got it done, and uh, this is going to put us over the top. They do not want to give up control. I mean, this thing could be over with in a short period of time if we all go back to work and go back to school. It is a dangerous uh, uh, threat, but we've overcome the main part of it. But we can't continue to ruin the best country on the face of the earth uh, because of a threat. Uh, and that's what it is now. It's a threat. It's not It's not uh, a factor. So we have got to get back to work. And, and, again, thanks to Operation Warp Speed, we had an opportunity to talk to General Piera, who is over Operation uh, Warp Speed. And I was embarrassed today that we interviewed him in, in the uh, Armed Services Committee that the Democrats just wore him out. And here's a guy that did a great service and ran this pandemic uh, operation in very tough times, and they hated it. That, that we were making progress. It is absolutely amazing to me that how we watched, because this is not a so what Democrat happened? Republican. Senator, what happened? Well the, well, the Democrats were just after after Pierre, but he did a, they did a terrible job. You know, they didn't get it out fast enough. It wasn't organized. And, of course, it wasn't about General Pierre, who was in charge of warp speed. It was about President Trump. Uh, they didn't want to give him any uh, accolades for really getting the job done in an eight-month period when it was. They said it was going to be six to uh, eight years. So it's just that, that's that's embarrassing, Hill, Brian. So, that, Senator, I, I, I got to ask you uh, this. So you look at from state to state. While we look at different max mandates, and we talk about all this spending, what I'm really worried about is defense, and the Senate Armed Services Committee is all over that. Have you heard indications of a massive defense uh, cutback like Barack Obama gave gave this country? Well, we're hearing 1.7 that uh, we'll lose uh, in the budget just for the simple fact of inflation. But we can't. We've got adversaries all over this world that are after us. And, of course, we've got John Kerry over giving up our secrets. And we've got things going on in, in China that uh, we're not fighting back on. Uh, we've got a great military, and we're going to stand behind them. Uh, but you got to have money. Uh, you got to have the things out there to be able to protect this country. We don't want another war, uh, but your best defense is an offense to have all the things that we need. But it's uh, it's just one of those things that uh, this president, uh, along with Barack Obama, they slashed it. And uh, President Trump had our military going again, had it refunded. Uh, you know, we we were in a strategic uh, uh, command meeting the other day. Who this commander runs all of our nuclear weapons, and it's a known fact. Our nuclear weapons are 50 years old. The people that designed them and built them are all dead now. Uh, and, and we have no plan to, to uh, modernize. And they are begging for us to modernize. And uh, it, it's just, again, you can watch the hearing. Uh, it was public hearing. And so it's, uh, it's one of those things that uh, there's so many things going on out there. And, of course, we didn't mean you having to talk about the border. It, it, that is a complete disaster. I've been down there. And, uh, you know, there's so many there. It's, it's to like this administration is doing so many things. Uh, they're putting them out there where you can't keep your eye on all of them. I mean, it's just everything's going to heck in a handbasket all at one time. And there's uh, we don't, there's not enough time in the day to, to put a finger on it. Well, just stop uh, the whole uh, uh, border reform, excuse me, uh, immigration reform. It can't, it's not going to get out of the blocks because with what's happening at the border. We're not going to legalize 20 million people that got here illegally at the same time, let another million people in while we speak. We already will have more people come through our border this year than all of last year, and we're not even in May yet. Uh, Senator, thank you so much for coming in, fighting the fight. I look forward to talking to you again soon.
Brian, don't ever let anybody tell you it's 12 million. It's 25 to 30 million people out there that they're going to end up uh, giving citizenship. I hear you. Way up there. Uh, they want to uh, say 11. You. I know. Yeah. Yeah, Se- Senator Ty- Tommy Tuberville, thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. All right, one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Back with your calls in just a moment. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. In the end, the White House never really did explain why Joe Biden was wearing a face mask on a Zoom call after getting fully vaccinated. You're not supposed to ask. You're supposed to accept that. It's a good thing. Shut up. Just like you're not supposed to ask questions about why children are being forced to wear face masks while they exercise outside. That doesn't make sense. In fact, it's dangerous. Kids are not at great risk from COVID. The coronavirus generally doesn't spread outdoors. We've got a lot of studies that prove that. And wearing a mask when you're breathing heavily is not good for you, to say nothing of the psychological effect of it. But whatever, shut up. Tucker, I had a killer monologue last night. I just wanted to share some of that with you. And as you're being sarcastic, people don't get it, but he's being totally correct in talking about the contradictory statements we're getting from the CDC, our health experts, and the ridiculous example the president gives and everybody around him wearing masks everywhere. And the Zoom call he was referring to, he's on a Zoom call with world leaders, right? You assume people, if they're next to him, are vaccinated. He's vaccinated. Why are you wearing a mask while Vladimir Putin's talking? We know differently. So if you're sitting there saying, you know, I don't know if I should sign up for this vaccine. What difference does it make if you sign up for the vaccine? Listen to the courage of Joe Biden at the same press conference yesterday when he announces, I'm allowing you when you're walking alone without people around not to wear a mask. No kidding. We could do that with or without a vaccine. That's called America. Listen to Joe Biden. Can you imagine Donald Trump doing this? He gets a couple of questions after his press conference that was sparsely attended. Cut 13. Do you have any preconditions before a meeting with Vladimir Putin? I'll discuss that all another day. What did you ask Vice President Harris to do? AstraZeneca, will you make it faster to get for them to get the vaccine? The vaccines we will get soon. India, they're suffering at this moment. What do you say to the folks in India? I'm sorry, I'm going to, just the last question I'll take. And I'm really going to be in trouble. Really? If I take questions, I'm going to get in trouble? And then he goes out. The guy wears a mask absolutely everywhere. I'm sure he's going to wear it tonight. That chamber should be filled up with people of both parties that can make it in their schedule. It's a last-minute situation, but they should because you would send a great message. We have the 1,000 people in this chamber who have all been vaccinated. That could be you. What I would love to see is a study, a study of the 14,000 people that went to Jacksonville to watch the UFC fight. I would like to see a study of the, I think it was 45,000 people. Uh, I think they're averaging between 20 and 30 now of the Texas Ranger fans that have been going to the games. Do you see a surge? I see a decline everywhere. Why is it that Toronto Raptors have to go to Tampa, Florida to play? Because Canada can't get out of their own way. And Toronto says, I want to play in the NBA. So Ted Florida says, we're the land of the free. We'll take it. Dr. Marty McCarry on the mask guidance. Cut 16. It's about 14 months too late. Remember, a lot of the research that they're citing came out last year. And it's not much of a loosening. If you think about it, all they really told, is, told us is that if you're fully vaccinated, 
You can be in small crowds without a mask. Look, the outside is entirely safe. We know that the aerosolized virus diffuses quickly. And so people should be outside and they can be outside without a mask unless they're sitting close to somebody else who's unvaccinated. There was no big announcement yesterday. They do, to a degree, want to control. They get extremely high rankings to the Democrats when it comes to pandemic and leadership. Most of this was done with the coming of the vaccine, but they have been organized going from state to state to state because they're leaning on different governors and they're making them accountable. I think that's great. But if it goes away, what issue do they have? Spending, inflation, decreased defense, less security, no security when it comes to policing? Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Proud to come to you from New York and heard around the country, heard around the world. Well, you know the draft is tomorrow. Remember, it was the biggest deal last year because we had nothing else to look at, but it's always intriguing. Lee Steinberg, one of the most uh, remarkable agents in all of sports, will be joining us now. He's going to talk about his uh, incredible recovery from alcoholism. Uh, he was at the bit that the apex, uh, the apex of his career, the best in the business, doing his job in Newport Beach, uh, California having the biggest quarterbacks in the game from Troy Aikman on down to Steve Bartkowski, was his emerging uh, quarterback, remember the old Falcons quarterback. Everybody wanted to go to him. He, like everybody else, felt susceptible to substance abuse. It was alcohol in his case. And he went down, and he came all the way back. And now he's representing this guy named Patrick Mahomes and so many other great players. He's got to talk about that and what can he expect uh, this year because we need a break from some of this craziness. And uh, Thomas Jocelyn is going to be with us in a matter of moments, senior fellow at the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies. If you want to know about foreign policy uh, without politics, he's one-stop shopping. His latest focus is something really caught my eye, why the Russia-China alignment is so worrisome. By the way, very unnatural and very worrisome. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. It's so frustrating to me as an attorney general and vice president harris was an attorney general at one point she has to understand the impact of her inaction and what it's what's happening here on the border and that's the attorney general of arizona just exasperated because we cannot control our own border and the president has no interest in doing it the cost of ignoring the joe biden kamala harris supervised catastrophe how we must do everything to make sure it's not ignored and ultimately the democratic undoing Number two. If you're fully vaccinated and you're outdoors and not in a big crowd, you no longer need to wear a mask. If you're in a crowd like a stadium or at a conference or a concert, you still need to wear a mask. Thanks, Ted. Yeah, uh, thanks. Wow, that's great. New rules? Come on, are you kidding? 14 states already got rid of their mask mandate. Now he's telling us we can walk alone outside. As the pandemic wanes, the CDC is showing they are thoroughly politicized and their guidelines are out of date. They need to be then they're contradictory in many ways. Someone is desperate for us not to get back our lives. Number one. This is going to be the weirdest congressional speech by a president in American history. It's going to be a virtually empty room. I think it tells you a lot about this administration. 
I think so, too, Newt Gingrich. 101 days and the first joint session tonight. What can we expect to hear? And the state, as I see it, of our union. What no one really has been talking about outside the Iranian deal is what's going on with our security. You know, we got distracted a little bit with Ukraine and Russia. If anyone takes their eye off China, they're crazy. Someone who never does. Thomas Jocelyn, senior fellow of the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies, which is a nonpartisan institution focusing on national security and foreign policy. Uh, Tom, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Your latest column caught my attention. Of course, reason would tell you China and Russia have been rivaled for years. That's what, part of the reason Nixon was able to get in there and recognize red China. And now they're aligned. Aligned because they're not us, perhaps? You know, it's it's an interesting story. I'm actually plumbing through the history of all this. And I think that a lot of there are a lot of misconceptions about the history of all this. There's this idea that sort of you know, during the Nixon years that that uh, the Nixon administration and Henry Kissinger were able to play China off on the, that what was then the Soviet Union. But as I've gone back through the history of this, there's actually an alternative history where the Chinese basically and Mao and his five leading generals actually used the U.S. as a hedge against the Soviet Union for their own purposes, basically exploiting that rivalry for their own gain. Um, and I think if you go back through the history of this, you start to realize that there have been a lot of assumptions about China that have been made across party lines by the bipartisan elite that have been wrong for four decades. And, you know, really you've seen during the Trump years that basically there was this now you know, pivoting away from those assumptions to basically recognize that China was actually not this benign actor that was just trying to get along with us, but actually was trying to remake the world order in its yeah. image. And, you know, basically now we're, we're still living with that. And part of the way they do that and part of the way I'm exploring in this, this piece you mentioned is that Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping are aligned to overturn U.S. interests and the U.S. so-called international order. How are they doing it? Well, the first thing they're doing is they're coordinating activities at all these international um, bodies, basically. You know, one of the things I know you've talked about, Brian, is all the problems with the World Health Organization and how it's been beholden to the Chinese and, you know, was sort of servile, the Chinese interests. Well, across, there are all these different international organizations that are either part of the U.N. Or, or sort of tangential to the U.N., that they're coordinating their actions to try and undermine American authority. And they do that in a variety of ways, from emboldening rogue actors like Iran and, and Cuba and Venezuela, wherever they can, to uh, you know, basically to just uh, voting against U.S. interests and what the U.S. policy is to you know, standing up other bad actors. So they're basically they're, what they're trying to do is use these international institutions for their own gain to basically protect themselves from human rights charges, from the, from the human rights abuses that they're committing. They don't want to be condemned for that. And they also want to basically preserve their autocracies. And the way they do that is they're using these international institutions to basically buttress themselves. So, but we always heard about the border skirmishes between the nations, right? Nonstop when there was the Soviet Union, especially. But now the fact is uh, that Vladimir Putin, with a, without a strong economy, but with a uh, with a military that's been updated, and with China not feeling a threat from Russia, but saying, "Hey, I'll lie with you." What are they going to combine to do? One of the areas they're working together is space. Right. Yeah, they're working together on space. I mean, one of the things I've been tracking is they've had a number of joint military maneuvers through the years now, going way back when. In fact, it was around 2000, 2001, the two countries signed a joint pact, a joint sort of strategic document that is still the framework under which they operate. Now, if you think about that, we're sitting here in 2021, and it's still news to people that the Russia and China are colluding and are, co are cooperating at a sort of a strategic level, and yet they've been talking about it for 20 years. Um, so, you know, this is the type of thing where they they've been, you know— 
you listen to Vladimir Putin talk about this, for example, and he's very open about the fact that the Russians built up the Chinese military and they've given the key technologies for their aircraft, for other types of weaponry. You know, there's, there's evidence of collusion and cooperation when it comes to cyber threats. Um, so this is, this is something that's very real. I mean, both these countries have a lot of weaknesses, a lot, um, from demo, internal demographics to being surrounded by advers, adversaries and rivals. But the issue is that both of them see that, that each, in each other something to be gained by maintaining this alliance. And I think it's going to be an issue going forward. So what we do is we see much more eye to eye with Japan. Uh, I, you could say Taiwan. You could say definitely South Korea. Uh, and Australia than they do with each other, don't you think? And I thought it was a good move that the Biden administration reached out to the so-called Quad before meeting with China over in Alaska. No, I agree with that for sure. I mean, I think you have India, which is a geopolitical rival of the Chinese, although it has its own relationship with the Russians. It's sort of a complicated you know, issue there, but they sit at the crossroads of all this. They're obviously going to be the largest nation in the world um, in the coming years. Um, you have Australia, which is a key American ally. You have Taiwan, as you mentioned. You have the Japanese. You know, South Korea, I'm a little worried about the rising anti-American sentiment there. That's something to keep track of. Um, but there are other, there are certainly, China has a good, good reasons to be concerned by what they call encirclement, that basically they're basically surrounded by rivals and adversaries, and they're trying to look for a way to bust out of that. And what I've been arguing uh, about all this is that we need to get away from sort of this Kissinger-style appeasement and cozy relations with the Chinese, where he basically has been arguing that we should grant the Chinese all sorts of power in, in the Pacific against these rivals and the name of some balance of power globally. I just don't think that makes any sense um, at all. And I wouldn't want to give away uh, all the chips that America has to play up front, which is basically what he's been advising. Thomas, when I see all this domestic spending and I saw what happened with President Obama, I get extremely worried about not only cutting defense, but the message of cutting defense sends. In a time of which these two militaries are closer than ever, how damaging would it be for us to be cutting back? You know, look, I mean, the first thing is I want to make sure our service members are, are well provided for, you know, especially those who have suffered injuries um, or casualties during the Understood. the, the post-9-11 wars and everything, for sure. And we have to be very careful about how money is spent, right? I think that the Defense Department wastes a lot of money. I mean, go through the F-35, it's now a $1.7 trillion project where they've just wasted a ton of money on this, this plane. So there are a lot of problems there. But overall, I agree with you that basically, you know, America has to provide for a robust defense because, you know, the Europeans were able to go into a mode of decline where they could say, well, look, we don't need to lead the world anymore. We can now sort of ride on America's coattails. But America doesn't have that luxury. You know, if America chooses to decline, if America chooses to give up its leadership role, there's no but there's no other America to lead us. There's no other America to take its place. So, you know, this is a very worrisome dynamic, I think, right now, is I think a lot of American elites have decided that basically right. they don't want the burden of leadership anymore. Yeah, well, that's uh, crazy, because when we get on the other side of that, they'll say, what, what, what do we do? What about the pull out of Afghanistan? I was not for I, I wanted to keep uh, the 2000 to 3000 troops there to have an eye in the region, to have a say in that government, to make sure you're not building a democracy, but keeping the Taliban at bay and giving them a chance to fulfill whatever they wanted to fulfill, allow women to read, write, uh, be able to westernize to a degree. We're, pu- we're giving all that up. You know, look, I, I have a lot of ambivalence on Afghanistan because I've been covering the failures there for years, and there's, there's just a lot of lack of leadership. And if I were, uh, you know, the family of a service member, I would have a lot of trepidation about sending him or her to Afghanistan at this point because I just don't think our leaders really know what they're doing, to be honest with you. Um, however, on the flip side, 
You know, the Taliban remains closely allied with al-Qaeda. They're fighting to resurrect the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan. That's going to be, if they're successful in that regard in whole or in part, that's going to be a boon for the jihadist cause. And at a time when America wants to get away from worrying about jihadism, it could be the next, you could very much, very well witness the next surge in jihadism, a whole new generation of jihadists coming out of this. And with 2,500 troops to prevent that, and with only two casualties in 18 months, you would think right. that this might be worth it too, too many. I get it. But sadly, the more have happened in our bases in America than have happened over there. And by withstanding it, the intel I understand, according to commanders, that they were able to get by being there, I think outweighs the cost and cost to be in there. And now I worry about the pullout itself and the scene because someone's going to fill that gap. China's more than happy to do it. Uh, Russia's more than happy to do it. Iran's more than happy to do it. Well, you know, when it comes to those actors, I, I think they're they're all going to play their own games. I don't think that they're going to prevent the Taliban from trying to seek victory in establishing its Islamic Emirate. The Chinese have already signaled their willingness to do trade and do business with the Taliban, in fact, um, if they were to take power. So, you know, they basically – I don't think – you know, there's this thinking that these groups are going to be – this is what you heard Secretary of State Anthony Blinken say just yesterday or the day before, that basically these regional power brokers need to take their share of the of this responsibility and make sure that Afghanistan doesn't become this terrorist hotbed. Uh, well, it already is a terrorist hotbed, and none of these groups are going to are going to step in to, to prevent that from getting even worse. And so, I, look, here's the point. Thomas, isn't that statement scare? Doesn't that, Thomas, doesn't that statement scare you? I know you're nonpartisan. Of course. But doesn't that statement right. scare you and to think that people are buying those words? Brian, it absolutely scares me. I mean, what you're hearing is you're hearing America say we don't want to lead anymore, right? That we, we think that everybody else can take take up this boy. I mean, it also doesn't make much sense, right? You have bases on China's periphery here, on its border, and you're saying that basically we're going to give those up and, um, you know, basically to the Taliban. And we're not worried about that. We're not worried about the Taliban insurgency because the Chinese, who are our global rivals in so many other ways, are going to somehow step in and fill the void and be a responsible actor. I don't know what <laughs> about China's recent history tells you that they're <laughs> going to be a responsible actor anyway. You know, uh, So, yeah, it, it totally worries me, of course. CIA Director William Burns said uh, in a do- – well, put in a document uh, summarizing the intelligence that China, Russia, Iran, and North Korea have demonstrated the capability and intent to advance their interests at the expense of the U.S. and its allies. China sees a geopolitical shift away from the U.S. and is preparing to fight wars in space, at sea, on land. Russia, as usual, is weak in everything except new weapons and the present increased threats. Iran will take risks that would escalate tensions in the Middle East. North Korea will be a WMD threat for the foreseeable future. Is there anything in that statement that's inaccurate or disproportionate? No, I think I think the our enemies are are gaining steam, are are you know preparing to try and uh, you know lessen American power even further, and and they hope to undermine us once and for all. And the point here is that look, I, I get there have been a lot of failures in the post 9/11 world. I'm very critical, as you can hear in this interview, even of the American elite. But we're going to need leadership going forward, and we're going to need to to buckle up and 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 figure out a way forward, figure out a way out of this morass because. Nobody's going to lead it for us, and if we don't uh, figure out a way to basically take back the mantle and say that, you know, look, America is the indispensable nation, then we're in real trouble. How do, what, does, what does leadership look like now? If, uh, if someone was to believe you at the State Department and Defense Department say, hey, Thomas, come over here, what is your image for us maintaining and retaining that, uh, uh, that leadership role? What does it look like? I think it starts by you know drawing a line and saying you know these international institutions that Russia and China are trying to undermine and, and subvert for their own purposes. We got to understand that look, 
you know, it doesn't make any sense to pretend that America is the moral or legal equivalent of Russia and China at the UN Security Council. You know, that we have to have a League of Democracies, a notion that many people have put forth to say, look, there is something that we need to protect and preserve in our values and our, in our way of doing uh, – of governing ourselves and our way of doing business. And the, the, this law-based, rules-based order that has sort of protected and given us all this wealth over the years. And if we don't do that, if we don't say, look, we have to draw a moral line to say that there is actually a very key distinction between America and its allies and democracies around the world, despite all of our many problems, right? And these autocracies, which want to undermine us and threaten us, if we can't start doing that and, 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 and drawing that firm line, then we're in trouble. Now, I do think that the Biden administration is doing that a little bit. I think the Trump administration did that a little bit, but I think we need to get on board here, get on the same page here and realize that, you know, look, all the partisan bickering and infighting isn't going to matter if Russia and China get their way. Absolutely, because it's called free markets. We're never going to get our uh, economy free and independent. Thomas Jocelyn, thank you so much. Always great. Thank you, Brian. You got it. one 408 Lee Steinberg talking about the draft and his recovery in just a moment. You're next. Getting past all the rhetoric, it's Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I grew up in a cult, and it was a very famous cult called Children of God, and it gave me a superpower. It gave me the ability to see the control and the propaganda machine, especially in the U.S., for what it is and how it harms people and how the left can harm people just as much uh, as the right if they go very, very deep into it and ignore all other aspects of kind of reality in a way, and and that you're serving a master that might not be serving you. And I always say I come in peace. I am not here to make people feel bad about their political choices, but I am here to say that you might be in a cult, too, if you don't know the signs. And, and I do believe Democrats most especially are in a deep cult that they really don't uh, and know about and aren't really aware of. That is Rose McGowan, actress, uh, who's been through a lot in her life. But uh, obviously, as you just heard, and also we know with the Harvey Weinstein stuff, she was coming out and she said on Fox, basically, Democrats, you're, you're, drinking, you're drinking the Kool-Aid, uh, especially those on the way left. What are you doing? This is undermining our country. This isn't debatable. You're at 1.9, 1.4, $2.4 trillion. You're going to take total control of the economy and keep it in control as you drive it into a ditch. That's the socialism formula. And we're standing by just to see it. Meanwhile, uh, Governor Cuomo was out there speaking yesterday, taking some questions from reporters about his uh, disgraceful behavior. Listen to his explanation. Have you ever touched anybody, any, any female in the governor's mansion? Have I touched people? Yes. Of course you touch people. You just shook hands with people, etc. I didn't touch them inappropriately. Yes. In your office. I didn't touch anyone inappropriately. Meanwhile, there's all these accusations. Is nine overall. And we don't have enough time to play now, but at which time he basically called all nine accusers liars, venal, who are looking for publicity. Publicity. Who would want this type of publicity? No Democrat could ever say they are part in leading the Me Too movement as long as he stays in office. And the fact that he's still in office 
makes them forever on the sideline when similar things come up on the other side of the aisle. Have I touched people? Yes. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Pretty much a dream come true for me. Uh, I made no secrets about the fact that I would love to play for the Dallas Cowboys. There would have been pressure if I was the, the 100 player taken as a quarterback. There's always that pressure on the quarterback, and I look forward to it. Troy Aikman, one of the 11 Hall of Famers that were uh, represented by Lee Steinberg in his career. As you know, the Cowboys were terrible when he went there. They were terrible for a year when he was there. They'd go on to win four Super Bowls. Now he's a Hall of Fame broadcaster, too. That is not news to my next guest, Lee Steinberg, uh, CEO of the Steinberg uh, Sports and Entertainment Holdings. He, uh, Amongst his current uh, crop of superstars, he's got this guy named Patrick Mahomes, who seems to be pretty good with a Super Bowl championship already under his belt. Uh, Lee, welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thank you so much. Usually we do this the day prior to the Super Bowl. And you've interviewed me like on top of uh, of <laughs> aircraft carrier. Uh, on top, I mean, in the most wild situations, I remember you came to our Super Bowl party uh, when it was in New York and uh, covered uh, a live hookup we were doing with troops in the field in Iraq. Absolutely, yeah, we did that. Uh, Lee has always had the best parties at the Super Bowl. In fact, I did it at my previous job at New Sport. It was one of these uh, uh, sports ventures. It did not work. It was like ESPN News is today. And they said, let's go live from there. And sitting there with uh, at the who's who of football that wasn't playing in the game because I think the game – or you might get some active players. But everybody came to this party, and you always had it in great, uh, great venues. So, uh, Lee, first off, before we uh, talk about you and everything you've been through uh, and, uh, and have come out of it and are doing exceedingly well, again, to the surprise of few – can we talk about this class? I, Lee Corso said, um, among said uh, this is probably as intriguing a draft as he's seen uh, in his career. When you see Trevor Lawrence, guys like uh, outliers like North Dakota State's Trey Lance, uh, Kyle Wilson, superstar tight ends like Kyle Pitts, are you seeing a lot of intrigue in this? Absolutely, it's the most loaded draft in terms of offensive talent that we've had in years, you could have the first four picks being quarterback. And it highlights the critical nature of franchise quarterbacks in today's football, because they may go one, two, three, four uh, with uh, Trevor Lawrence going to the Jaguars and then uh, Zach Wilson going to the New York Jets and then, uh, it could be Mac Jones to the uh, to the uh, uh, to to the 49ers, and then the pick after that to Atlanta. They could take somebody like Justin Fields, and then you got Trey Lance, and so it's it's a explosion. And there's some great wide receivers that so go really high. So the first ten picks could all be offense, and that always makes it a more uh, attractive draft uh, because these are players that that headed teams and and everyone knows who they are. So talk about the combines. You know, there's usually such extensive testing and the combines and it's televised. But with the pandemic last year, there was uh, last year was totally different. You see these 
the war rooms were really in, in the coaches' houses and, and the GM's houses. It was crazy. And this year you don't have the combines, right? So um, generally the way football players are scouted is that they look at game film, they look at all-star games, but then the Super Bowl of scouting events is the scouting combine in Indianapolis. And that's where they test Brian for how fast you can run a 40 and how yeah. how you can do a vertical leap. And, and players meet with teams one-on-one, and they go out in the field and perform. That didn't happen this year. Uh, as a matter of fact, the only testing was done on college campuses uh, for pro scouting day. So uh, now, which brings up an intriguing uh, question. The draft used to be back in 1975 when I started with Steve Bartkowski, who was the first pick overall, was in January. So all they had was game film, and the best predictor of future success is past success. So uh, if you look at last year's draft, there were no campus visits, and we had uh, Tua Tongo Bailoa in that draft. Miami Dolphins. Yeah. And Jerry Judy, who went to Denver, uh, wide receiver. And um, we had to, with Tua, hold our own pro scouting day because the question was whether he was too injured to be effective. And uh, that tape ended up assuaging people's uh, fears and got him so that he got drafted uh, in the fifth pick last year. Yeah, I just wonder, in the retrospect, if people look and go, you know what, a lot of this stuff is overkill. Maybe we don't need to do all this, and we could come out with the other Thank conclusion. Um, yeah, No, uh, last year's draft had the same number of hits and misses as every year. And I'll tell you up front, if you track this draft for five years, you'll find that a good one-third of the players in the first round underperform mm-hmm. or are not in the league at all. So what it shows you is... Once again, you can have all these testables. You can have this really rapid 40 from a wide receiver, but can he catch? You have this really fat, high vertical leap from a defensive back, but can he guard anyone? So they seem to do as well with the information they had mm-hmm. even limited last year as, as, this, as they've done in the past. Talking to Lee Steinberg, the base Jerry Maguire, the hit movie, um, a lot sexier than the guy that played him, this guy named Tom Cruise in real life. I've had a chance to see both of them. I agree with that. He has had a record 11 Hall of Famers from Howie Long to Steve Young to Troy Aikman, Kenny Easley, Edron James, Tony Gonzalez. Uh, number one pick, Steve Barkowski, Bruce Smith, Troy Aikman, Jeff George, Russell Maryland, Drew Bledsoe, Dan Wilkinson, uh, Kajana Carter of Penn State. So you would think that with that resume, everything's going great and it just continues on. But in the middle of all this, Lee, and I have to say I did not know – you had some personal challenges uh, with the divorce and other things happening in your life. And even though you were the guy who had one beer in college and never was a partier, later in life, you struggled with alcohol. Looking back now, what got you in? When, how did it happen that later in life, alcohol got the best of you? And how did you come out of it? So I had a sequence of events in the early 2000s where uh, – My father died a long, um, painful death of cancer. My two boys were diagnosed with the eye disease, retinitis pigmentosa, which is uh, something that leads to blindness and there is no cure. 
we lost the house to mold. I started to experience problems in my uh, marriage. And uh, I can always handle everything at business. I understand that every day when you walk in, something untoward may occur, notwithstanding how uh, uh, tried to prepare. So that didn't bother me. But I felt powerless to help um, my family in all these circumstances and turned to the wrong thing, which was alcohol. And eventually uh, got to the point where I was able to break denial and uh, address the problem. And so I went into sober living back in 2010 and uh, said two things. Number one, um, if nothing else, the rest of my life, I'll be sober. And number two, I'll be a good uh, parent. So that was my real comeback. And uh, I just, uh, I'm now in my 12th year of continuous sobriety. What was the hardest part about all that? Um, I think realizing that um, at a certain point I had an epiphany, which was I wasn't a starving peasant in Darfur. Uh, I, I didn't have the last name Steinberg in Nazi Germany. I didn't. I wasn't sick in any way that I didn't induce. And what excuse did I have not to live up to my father's admonitions, which were one, treasure relationships, especially family. And two, try to make a meaningful difference in a positive way in the world. And I wasn't living up to either of them. And so um, I finally got to the point where I was sitting on my deceased father's bed in our family home, with uh, living there at 61. And then um, my only thought was where I could find more vodka. So if you're out there and you're struggling and you're – uh, confused and depressed because of the problems with an addictive substance, you can, I worked a 12-step program with a unique fellowship, and uh, just just know if you're out there listening, there's, there's help and there's hope. And you went through it from the ultimate high uh, to down and now back again. So as you turn the corner, and I know people who are addicted never feel as though they can take anything for granted. I will, having said that, I know you think that. What made you say, I'm going to go back to the industry I dominated, uh, where I was featured every year at the Super Bowl and on Wide World of Sports, and I'm going to go back there, and even though your, your, your uh, partner screwed you, you started from zero and came all the way back. What was that like, climbing up the ladder again? So, as I said, my comeback was uh, being a good father and mastering sobriety. I didn't really have a whole lot of doubts. Uh, I understood people would say, well, you know, you can't. Um, how do we know you won't uh, drink again? Or uh, you've been out of this profession for four or five years. Uh, uh, and you know what? You're not a spring chicken. And uh, so I had to think through all the uh, impediments uh to me coming back. And then I thought, you know, the reason I've dedicated my life to this is that I can, you know, that our players, we ask them to be role models and go back to the high school, collegiate professional community, set up charities and make a difference. And in aggregate, they starting to push a billion dollars in how much money they raise. And I said, you know, that is still worth doing. Stimulating the best in a young man is still worth doing. Having Lennox Lewis, the boxer 
it up with a PSA that says real men don't hit women or having uh, work done, uh, put together a program that just puts the 175th single mother and their family into the first home they'll ever own. That's, that's worth doing. And um, so you got going with Paxton Lynch, who got uh, picked in the first round. And then I knew since I had represented half the starting quarterback some weekend, we were back in, in that mode. And then that led to Patrick Mahomes and to Tua Tongo Bailoa and Ronald Jones, the running back for Tampa. And, uh, and then all sorts of other fun uh, projects that um, – lead to health and healing and and uh uh and make a difference also um i love the running back uh, i know you represent the running back in uh in uh, jacksonville i love him i think he's going to be a superstar um real quick is your pitch different so if i'm a uh, if i'm a 20 year old and i'm st- and clear a heisman contender or a winner at least steinberg's on the phone is my pitch is your pitch to get me in your 60s, different from the one to get me when you were in your 30s? Um, it's different only in this respect, that that the current generation, Gen Z, uh, grows up on uh, on uh, Snapchat and uh, TikTok and, and uh, has an attention span that's slightly more attenuated than, than what players were uh, earlier. So you want to get it out there faster, but here's how it's different. It's this is a world of social media. So, you know, Patrick Mahomes does a NFT event where he's selling uh, a whole group of digital uh, uh, memorabilia. And that is, and makes $3.4 million in a couple of minutes. You, today, it's all about presence and brand and uh, how many followers do you have on Twitter and and Instagram and TikTok and players have more control over their name image and likeness than they did before. Okay so you said this is what I'm going to need to do and what you could do is give them the experience and it's also great to have all the Hall of Famers on your speed dial to let them know what kind of person you are. Um, Lee has been yeah uh, and so fascinating so overall uh, you feel good where you're at right now, and you, do you feel do you feel as though you have anything to prove at this point, or is this just at this point fun uh, uh, to be at the place you are in your life? It's fun, and um, you know uh, the pandemic was really sad and everything, but it it stopped me from traveling so much. So I'm out there walking fifteen thousand steps a day, and um, uh, and being outside, and um, it's uh, it's a wonderful life. I've got wonderful clients and a great family, and uh, I just want to see if I can impact more lives in a positive way, and uh, uh, you know, keep on on doing things that will enhance the world. And right now, after Trevor Lawrence, who do you think will be should be the next quarterback taken? Uh, it'll be Zach Wilson, the quarterback from BYU, at, will go to the New York Jets. And then the Alabama quarterback probably goes to San Francisco. Or they take Justin Fields from Ohio State, 
and then perhaps the other one goes to the next pick and uh and people like keep I it said, on trey lance like, north dakota oh, and, and then, incidentally brian when you see those uh living room shots on the draft uh with a player sitting between his parents looking very happy what they're not showing you is the 75 people that are in the house because they're brothers sisters aunts uncles coaches mm. and uh draft gotcha. time's not real time draft time's water torture time you got and, it uh, Every second seems like a minute. A minute seems like an hour. Lee, it's always going to be fun, and we love watching it. Lee Steinberg, thanks for your story. Thanks for the experience. Thanks for the preview. Brian Kilmeade Show. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. If you want to live in this country, you will need a vaccination. If you're the right skin color, the government will celebrate when you get that vaccination, but either way, you must get it. The vaccine works perfectly. Do not question that. Now, once you do get the vaccine, you must continue to live as if you didn't get the vaccine for the protection of people who chose not to get the vaccine. And if that bothers you, or if you have any questions about why we're doing it this way, then you were a bad person and we must hurt you. So get ready to be unemployed, if not in prison, for reckless endangerment. That's a felony. And that is so true. And that is the ridiculous guidelines that have now been handed out by the CDC, now tell us, uh, by, and outlined by President Biden, what we can do with our lives. Now we're allowed to walk outside alone by ourselves if we're vaccinated. If we're not, we can't, right? We just have to wear a mask. Forget it. Forget about playing in a mask. If you get vaccinated, I know colleges are doing it automatically. Some other people to travel will demand it. Some of your bosses might do it. Whether you do or not, whether you have the immunity or not, if people around you are vaccinated, they should not affect you. So you take your own risks. We're past the point where you got to tell us what to do. We're past that point. And you got to tell, someone's got to tell President Biden, you're not setting a good example, you're setting a bad example. You are making people not get the vaccine. If you're hesitant, and there's no problem if you're hesitant, you're looking for examples of why you should get it, and the government's not giving you any examples when you sit on a Zoom call with world leaders alone in a room with a mask on, or you're a reporter out in the field with a, with a cameraman over six feet away and you have a mask on. It makes no sense. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. From New York, heard around the country, heard around the world, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Appreciate so much of being here. Big hour coming your way. Call Rover at the bottom of the hour to preview the big speech tonight by the President of the United States. You probably can't go more than an hour, so we could be in and out. That's why it's starting at 9 o'clock Eastern time. Dr. Marty McCarry is standing by. He's going to be joining us, too. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. It's so 
frustrating to me as an attorney general, and Vice President Harris was an attorney general at one point, she has to understand the impact of her inaction and what it's what's happening here on the border. She does, and she doesn't care. That's the AG of Arizona. The cost of ignoring the Joe Biden-Kamala Harris supervised catastrophe at our border and how we must do everything to make sure it's not ignored and is ultimately the Democratic undoing. Number two. If you're fully vaccinated and you're outdoors and not in a big crowd, you no longer need to wear a mask. If you're in a crowd like a stadium or at a conference or a concert, you still need to wear a mask even if you're outside. New rules. As the pandemic wanes, the CDC is showing us they are thoroughly politicized and their guidelines we already outdated. They're contradictory in many ways and in some ways insulting. Someone is desperate for us not to get back to our lives, in my opinion. Number one. This is going to be the weirdest congressional speech by a president in American history. It's going to be a virtually empty room. I think it tells you a lot about this administration. Newt Gingrich can't believe it, and he's seen it all. 101 days in of the first joint session of Congress tonight. What we expect to hear, and the state, as I see, of our union. So here is President Joe Biden yesterday with a big announcement. His big announcement that 14 states have beat him to with lifting of a max man, uh, mask mandate. But here it is. Pretend to be surprised. Cut eight. And because of the extraordinary progress we've made in fighting this virus, if you're fully vaccinated and you're outdoors, you need, and not in a big crowd, you no longer need to wear a mask. I want to be absolutely clear. If you're in a crowd, like a stadium or at a conference, or a concert, you still need to wear a mask. I don't know. Even uh, if you're outside. Right. Even if, if you want to study Jacksonville, where the UFC fight was, maybe you'll have an idea of if that is in fact true. Because these events don't seem to be super spreaders. Spring break in Miami wasn't a super spreader. Arlington, Texas, where the Rangers played in a sold-out crowd, that wasn't a super spreader. And believe me, I saw the audience. They were not wearing masks for the most part. Dr. Marty McCarty is here, Fox News contributor, surgeon, and professor of health policy at the Johns Hopkins School of Public Health. Dr. McCarty, welcome back. What surprised you about yesterday's big reveal? Well, it was uh, it was a nothing. I mean, all they did was have a carve out. If you've been fully vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask outside in a small gathering. I mean, tell me something I don't already know. I mean, that's basically saying you have to keep wearing a mask if you're riding a bike, if you're vaccinated, if you're doing all these things outdoors. I I would have appreciated it if he would have said, due to the tremendous progress we've made against coronavirus, we are lifting the state of emergency. I mean, are we really in a state of emergency right now when we have 50,000 cases a day and seasonal flu has 400,000 cases a day during a mild flu season in the middle of that season? Is San Francisco in a state of emergency? They had 20 COVID cases yesterday, most asymptomatic. I mean, are we, is that a real public health threat? And so we're going to be in this perpetually because infections linger in all areas of society. It's the weirdest thing because, for example, when, you have it, when you're in government, if you're in a recession and signs are you coming out of the recession, politicians grab it and say, look, we're recovering. We want to be in recovery. We've got to change the mindset of the American people. It's not going down. It's coming up. Even if all indicators aren't there, we want to lift everyone up. What's different about this? <laughs> That's right. Look, if they're so puzzled about vaccine hesitancy and 
you know, how do we get through to people? It's so obvious. Give people a reward. Give them hope. Give them something to look forward to after getting your vaccinations. And, you know, it's much more than being outdoor at a small gathering. You can take off your mask. That's not giving people something to look forward to. If they're serious about addressing vaccine hesitancy, in all seriousness, Brian, give people a reward. Stop shaming those who refuse to get the vaccine. Respect their decisions. Some have good reasons. They've got natural immunity. Switch to walk-in vaccinations. Not everyone's going to schedule an appointment. That's a barrier. And stop talking about boosters. You know, there's no evidence we're going to need a booster. So telling someone, hey, you're going to need a vaccine every six months or every month when you show up to work, that's not helping right now either. So I thought Trey Gowdy, who's an extremely intelligent guy, but a legal guy, not a medical guy, had some great everyman questions. Maybe you can help him. Cut 18. I'm still at a loss as to whether or not fully vaccinated people can transmit the disease. If they can, then why are you giving us this guidance today? And if they can't, then what took you so long? I I, I think most Americans, Brett, want to do the right thing. But when you have this unholy marriage between politics and science, I mean, they've given up on trying to figure it out. So he wanted to know, if you're fully vaccinated, can you transmit the disease? Well, I think the bigger question is, if our public officials know the data, are they going to tell it to you? Because the data are overwhelming. There were eight cases of people testing positive after thousands of people were fully vaccinated. Um, Actually, not even fully vaccinated after four weeks before six weeks in Israel. Now, out of thousands of eight people had a positive swab, but no symptoms. And that's what they are. They transmitting it to someone? No, they're not. So the risk is somewhere between um, one in a million and zero. And so at some point, are we going to share this data with the public? You don't transmit the infection after you've been fully vaccinated. Dr. McCarry with us now. He's going to hop on Fox Business soon. So I want to get to as many questions as possible, as quick as possible. This is with the CD. Now, the answer to this, I thought, was settled science. And I'm putting my air quotes together. Here's the CDC director two weeks ago. Our data from the CDC today suggests, um, you know, that that vaccinated people do not carry the virus, don't get sick, um, and, and that it's not just in the clinical trials, but it's also in real world data. Okay, case closed. I thought a couple of days later they say, well, she's getting a little ahead of herself. Really? It sounds like she had two different aspects to show that you can't carry the virus, which means. I'm vaccinated. I'm not going to look down on you, but I'm probably going to go to the Nick game to a uh, with no problem, without being checked, with a crowd of maybe 10,000. And maybe I'm going to go to the UFC event without a fear and without mask. Was she lying then? And was the walk back or was the walk back real afterwards? Well, I feel a little a little bad for her, Brian, because she's a good doctor. But everything she says, the White House has to approve or edit or write her speech for her. So she's reading scripts all the time, if you notice. And so every now and then she speaks her mind a little bit and she gets smacked down probably from the White House. Uh, but the data are clear right now. If you've got the vaccine and you're a good month or six weeks out from your first dose or two weeks from your J&J, you're bulletproof against severe illness. You're not going to transmit it. How about changing the language, CDC, from you can do something to you should go to a Knicks game. You should get out there. You should be outdoors. You should do live a normal life. 
after vaccination. So we're looking at some numbers. Uh, 43% got one shot. 30% are fully vaccinated. 2.7 million a day, down from over 3 million a day. Are you sensing that the, the people that definitely wanted it got it? And is that number going to decrease? What number percentage of the population would make Dr. Macari feel confident we have herd immunity? Well, I think if you look at Israel and the U.K., two and a half weeks after 50 percent of the adult population gets vaccinated, you start seeing significant suppression. I mean, both countries have had have had days with zero or four deaths, zero in Israel, four in the U.K. We hit that last weekend. So give it another week or so. And we're going to be at significant suppression. The idea that, oh, we were at four million a day and now we've dropped. Well, guess what? There are fewer people left in the country. Half of those who are not vaccinated have natural immunity from exposure or prior infection, something that the current public officials are still dismissing. And they're sitting there puzzled how we're going to possibly get to 85 percent when young kids don't even have a vaccine available. They've got to stop the insanity and recognize herd immunity is not only already kicked in. It's not binary. It's not a finish line, but it's significantly slowing things down. That's why Michigan's down 30 percent in the last two weeks. That's why we're seeing significant suppression, and that's why, the, you know, what I said, that we're going to have herd immunity in April is going to be true for probably every state in the country except for the five states with outbreaks, which those are down to right now. Dr. McCarty, it's an amazing way we run from good news. We run from good news, and we go right <laughs> to the bad news always. Dr. Marty McCarty, thanks so much. Good luck with Stuart Varney. He's a handful. Great to be with you, Brian. You're going to see him on FBN in just a matter of moments. Uh, When we come back, I'm going to give you a chance to talk. 1-866-408-7669. I'm going to go through the CDC guidelines, too. Then Carl Rove is going to be joining us and make heads or tails of what's going to be happening tonight. I do want to go over some stats with you just before I go, because I also want to know if you want to talk about immigration. I really feel as though I haven't touched that yet uh, today. For people who are talking about a border crisis and think, well, have a big heart, let everybody in. They're now calling it, they're playing with us now, irregular migration. Irregular migration. They are giving the Triangle countries $310 million of our money in humanitarian aid, not demanding any border control. Do you believe this? So we're rewarding their lack of security in their country, not demanding or putting any strings attached, just writing checks with our money. Can you imagine it was Joe Biden's money or Hunter's money that he got from China or the Ukraine or Kazakhstan? But I digress. The cost of the border crisis, hundreds of millions to pay nonprofits to run these facilities. Contracts exclude, include $86 million for hotel rooms to temporarily house the surge of migrants. Can you imagine that? We're getting these people and putting them in hotels. I'm just wondering if they get room service. For $86 million, they better. $19.2 million to operate this, uh, the, uh, the Border Patrol Donna Processing Facility. You see what there are? People living uh, foot to head, foot to head, many positive of the pandemic, cost us $20 million, $16 million to operate the facility overall, millions in transportation costs to move migrants between federal facilities and the NGOs, which we also pay for, millions for alternatives to detention programs because we don't want to arrest anybody anymore, and the uh, ICE is not empowered to do anything, $60 million per week to provide services to unaccompanied minors. Doesn't count for the welfare we're giving the sponsor families because they're taking in illegal immigrants. This is a cost. It's not a matter of having a big heart. It's having an empty head. one 408 7669 Brian Kilmeade Show. A 
radio show of the people for the people. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. You chose to wear a mask as you walked out here. What message were you sending by wearing a mask outside alone? I'm watching me take it off and not put it back on till I get inside. Unbelievable. You have to send a message. You're about to go out there, the president of the United States, and, and tell a sparse group of reporters that it's okay vaccinated to go outside alone without a mask, as if that's big news to the 14 states that have zero mask mandate, uh, like Texas and Florida, and I believe Nebraska's getting there too. Uh, and I, I also saw a big, uh, a big come down with Massachusetts, of all places, uh, they're changing their mask policy. They're not waiting for the president of the United States. So he takes that off. People are realizing now that what the administration is doing, being cautious, is being stupid, foolhardy, and contradicting their message. In fact, it's even brought up on other channels. Listen to Anderson Cooper's reaction. If he doesn't have a reaction, just know he has a befuddled look on his face. When this doctor who he's interviewing, which he, of course he thought he thought was going to praise Joe Biden— said this. I understand that the Biden team wants to be cautious, but caution comes at a price. And that price is that people are saying, well, what's the point of getting vaccinated if not that much changes for me? I think what the Biden administration has been doing is to say, here's what we as a society should do. As in, once we reach a certain level of vaccination in the society, once the infection level decreases, we'll lift restrictions for everyone. But I think they're discounting that many Americans want to know what's in it for me. They don't want to wait until everyone gets to some elusive herd immunity. I think it'll be a lot more effective if we say, once you are fully vaccinated, that's the end of the road for you. Thank you. On CNN, how did that leak out? Kentucky Governor Andy Beshore on Monday, Democrat, cleared groups of fewer than 1,000 to gather outside without masks. Didn't say vaccinated. Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker on Tuesday said his state's rule requiring masks outdoors would expire Friday, except in certain situations. It erased mask mandates. Texas already done it as well. So later on that night, on another network, okay, the same network, a familiar last name, Chris Cuomo. I understand you when it comes to people who aren't vaccinated because all you have is prophylaxis of masks and distancing. I'm talking about the vaccinated. By your own numbers, 10 percent of cases happen outdoors. It's 18.7 times higher odds of transmission indoors. Combine that with your own data, 87 million fully vaccinated, just over 7,000 breakthrough investigations. It's like 0.005 percent. You know, the research was that you take the vaccine because it gives you immunity. Then why not treat it that way and let the vaccinated live their lives? That was to Andy Slavitt, the so-called pandemic czar, playing the role that Vice President Biden played for Donald Trump. I've never seen anything like it. I'll go back to my original analogy with Dr. Bakari. You know, when you're in a recession, you can't wait to get out. You can't wait to get out. I don't care what the president is. I want to get out. And you think to yourself, well, is that, are we really growing that much? Is unemployment going down that much? Are they trying to cheerlead our way out of it? The answer is yes. Yeah, you're not quite there yet, but the president wants you thinking like you're there. So you go shopping. So you have a bounce in your step. So you think optimistically. 
So instead of doing that, they're trying to keep us scared. They're trying to keep us out of gyms. They're trying to keep us uh, our weddings on hold. They're trying to keep graduations and proms on ice. And it's inexcusable, despicable, and I despise the attitude. And uh, it's unforgivable, too, because it is going to take the masses to rise up and say, I am ignoring you. Mr. President, I am ignoring you, CDC director, and I am not going to listen anymore because what you're saying is way too cautious. I'm willing to take the risk. But what they're doing is they're going to business owners, closing them down with these Stalin-like crackdowns in major cities. So it's not worth the risk. That's what we're seeing. And I think we're going to see it in the numbers when you artificially hold things back. I think Tucker Carlson uh, put that brilliantly. When we come back, I want to preview with Carl Rove what we're going to hear tonight from the President of the United States as it comes at 9 o'clock, roughly Eastern Time. 855 will go up. He's only not going to have 1,000 people there, not going to have the 535 congressional leaders there, about 200 total there, many Republicans saying too many restrictions. We don't want to do it. But I thought Tucker Carlson did it, uh, put it perfectly when he talked about the mixed messages sarcastically from the White House, cut 15. If you want to live in this country, you will need a vaccination. If you're the right skin color, the government will celebrate when you get that vaccination. But either way, you must get it. The vaccine works perfectly. Do not question that. Now, once you do get the vaccine, you must continue to live as if you didn't get the vaccine for the protection of people who chose not to get the vaccine. And if that bothers you, or if you have any questions about why we're doing it this way, then you were a bad person and we must hurt you. So get ready to be unemployed, if not in prison, for reckless endangerment. That's a felony. He's kidding, but he's actually resting in fact on everything he said. When we come back, Carl Rove, former Deputy Chief of Staff, a senior advisor to President George W. Bush. Republicans way forward from tonight. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I think the Republican Party will win on policy. We need good candidates like Herschel Walker, who's created a job, knows how to talk to the people in Georgia, Let's put our best team on the field, get behind President Trump with an agenda just like you described, and take this fight to every state in the nation to save America while we still can. I think it's going to be a blowout year for Republicans. If this election is about policy, we're going to win. That was Senator Lindsey Graham. Obviously, I've never heard him so exasperated so consistently. It was the same way on Sunday. Uh, when Joe Biden came into office, I had no idea. I knew he wanted a stimulus plan. I didn't know he was going to get it on pure party lines at $1.9 trillion after already getting $900 billion. I did not know he was going to offer a $2.3 trillion infrastructure plan that only had about a third of which, at best, has infrastructure. The rest is human infrastructure, which is not a word or a phrase. He just wants money. And now he's going to unveil tonight details of a $1.8 trillion family bill that will include free pre-K, will include uh, uh, lower health care costs across the country. What does that look like? A special tax plan that will continue to soak those horrible rich people. And he's going to give free junior college increasing Pell Grants. Douglas uh, Holt Eakin says this will restructure the role of government in America. Is that an overstatement? Carl Rove joins us now. Uh, Best-selling author. 
uh, former Bush key staffer. Carl, welcome back. Is that an overstatement? No, it's uh, pretty uh, on target. Think about this. In fiscal year 2019, the entire size of the federal budget was $4.4 trillion. That's wow. Medicare, Social Security, defense, you name it. In the first 100 days of the Biden administration, he has proposed new additional spending of $6 trillion. That's above and beyond the baseline of the budget. We, uh, you're right, $1.8 trillion. And, and did you see what's in, built into the $1.8 trillion? A huge increase for money. For Obamacare. Why? Because Obamacare's promise that it was going to provide low-cost health care coverage access for, for tens of millions of Americans turned out to be completely phony like the rest of the stuff we were told. The only way the program could stay alive is to give it a huge amount of money that I think is bigger than it spent in its initial three or four years of service. I mean, it's incredible what this guy is doing. He ran as a moderate. He was going to be, you know, restore normalcy. There was no hint of gigantic new spending programs. There was no hint of gigantic increase in the debt. There was no big talk about we're going to tax everybody, to, you know, particularly small businesses that, that are pass-through companies and people who invest and save. I mean, there was none of that. It was going to be a normal, moderate Democrat. And instead, this guy is, is hell-bent on transforming America and being the most progressive president since FDR, according to his own people. That's what his goal is. Yeah, he's got nearly all the media. He's obviously got Hollywood. Uh, they'll make sure that Biden looks like the next FDR, even though he barely speaks. If the economy keeps roaring into 2022, which by all accounts, Carl, when you pull a car to the side of the road and you start it up and moving forward, it looks much better than when it's paused on the side of the road. And now the economy is going to move. And I'm worried that people are going to get the wrong perception that it's moving in the right direction because of him. It's moving in the right direction because it's moving. Yeah. Well, look, I, I, what's interesting to me is is that his approval rating on the economy is at or below his overall approval rating. His approval rating is, is 53% of the real clear politics average. That is the second lowest since we began modern polling. The, the only lower one was Donald Trump after the rather extraordinary election of 2016. So he not prepared the American people for all this stuff. And as a result, he's being held up by people feeling better about the COVID and everybody is getting the, you know, the chance to go get their vaccination. But when it comes to things like immigration and the economy, his, his numbers are much lower. And, and, and people are starting to get very nervous very nervous about where this is all going. I was taken with one question in a poll in which they said, would, would you like him to get his spending proposal, infrastructure proposal uh, as is, or would you like him to have make concessions and compromises with the Republicans, even if that reduced the overall amount of spending a lot? 60% of the American people wanted the latter. So he could only carry 40% of the country saying, yeah, he's got that great proposal. We ought to go for it. Exactly the way it is. People want him to compromise, and he ain't compromising. He has no he plays kabuki at it. But the only compromise is you got to compromise your principles and vote for everything that I want. I know. So far, um, a couple of things going to happen. Only two hundred people are in the chambers. Uh, you could get it sixteen hundred plus guests, and John Roberts will represent the judicial branch. That is it. You're going to have some significant uh, misses. Uh, Tom Cotton, Josh Hawley, Marco Rubio among the Republicans won't be there. Uh, McConnell and McCarthy will. They're among leadership. Scalise won't. Uh, senators attending 
Uh, just some of the other names. There's going to be about 100 or so there. It's going to be a bizarre look. It's not going to be a well-delivered speech. He's not capable. It's probably going to be under an hour. That's true. When it comes to Tim Scott, notoriously, it's almost impossible to make an impact in that spot. In terms of content, what do you hope Senator Tim Scott talks about? Well, I hope, one, that he makes it clear that Republicans have offered alternatives to the president's proposals and have been soundly and and unceremoniously rejected thus far. But we're not going to stop. We're going to keep offering alternatives to these proposals that he's coming out with because there's a better way for America. Second of all, he needs to articulate that the Republicans have an optimistic and positive agenda for the future of the country and that they're going to be talking about it during the next year. At the same time that he's delivering, you know, sort of responsible, thoughtful, you know, restrained attacks on the president. You don't want him to just sort of take the the kitchen sink like you and I do on the radio. But you want him to go through and make a methodical case why what President President Biden is proposing is not is not right and why he's leaving undone big things in our country like securing our borders. But can I can, can I touch back for just a second on one thing you mentioned? The crowd is not, and there's not going to be a crowd in there. Yep. You know, aren't we all getting vaccinated? Don't, doesn't Absolutely. The, doesn't, don't, don't, don't the docs for the House and Senate know exactly who's been vaccinated yep. among the members and who hasn't? Yep. Well, you know, we in Texas, our legislators in the Texas State Senate take a test each day before they walk in to the Senate. If they haven't been vaccinated, they take a test. So why why is it that we have suddenly no reason. a group of anti-science people in charge of the Senate and the House in the form of Schumer and Pelosi? What is this all about? I thought we were supposed to believe in science. Why don't they believe in science? Thirteen states have no mask mandate. Uh, you now have Massachusetts just going to let it dissipate. It's going to go. They're going to say you can gather with 100, uh, uh, fewer than 1,000 to gather outside without masks. That's in Kentucky. In Massachusetts, uh, Baker, uh, Governor Baker is just going to let the mask mandate dissipate. In Texas, you guys sold out Arlington Stadium with the Rangers play, and there's been no surge of cases. In the, for the UFC, it's a little early, but they've sold out 14,000 in Jacksonville. There's been no surge. Spring break, no surge. See, Carl, I was just talking about this in the A Block. I, in, normally, when you come out of a recession, you got leaders saying, look, we turned the corner, we turned the corner, indicators show we have people are shopping again, and they're optimistic again, even if all the indicators aren't there. Why are they cheering for the pandemic to be extended instead of pushing us to put it behind us? What is behind this? Well, there are two, two, two ways. One is they really are scared, and they're afraid of having anything bad go on their watch. Or the other thing is, and this is really, this is probably way over the top, too conspiratorial. Maybe they want the, the the economic bump to happen later rather than sooner, so it's closer to the 2022 election. I I don't know. It just doesn't make sense. And uh, you know, we had the we had one of the administration officials wringing her hands, you know, about you know a rising number of deaths. Well, you know, look, we we're we're learning to be responsible. The last year, give the American people credit. You know, we covied up. We we took steps to to keep our families healthy. A lot of governors and a lot of mayors made it a high priority to make certain that that we protected the elderly who are clearly at risk from this, and and it made certain that when it came time for vaccinations, we did a lot of exceptional things in order to make certain that seniors got vaccinated. But for God's sake, let the science guide you, and the science 
going back to what we talked about just a few moments ago, what, where, what, who is the nut who says to Nancy Pelosi, we, can, we, we, we can't have vaccinated members of the House and Senate on the floor of the, of the, of the chamber, and we can't, we can't have members who haven't been vaccinated to get tested the day of or shortly before they come into the chamber? I mean, who is telling her that you can't do that? Uh, nobody. I, I think she's doing it on her own. I don't think Nancy Pelosi tells anyone, but it's bad information. Carl, I want to bring you to something that's happening. I know the Republicans had a bit of a summit of their own trying to find a way forward. They feel good about a lot of what's going on because they feel it gives them an opportunity. And I got to ask you about Kevin McCarthy and Liz Cheney evidently clashing because Liz Cheney is indefatigable with her dissatisfaction, dissatisfaction with Trump. And Kevin McCarthy wants to keep the party together. Who's right? Well, both of them want to keep the party together. It's just that they've got different views on, on how to achieve that. But they, they do agree on something that's really important and underreported. The Republican House leadership has now set up seven task forces. Uh, it was led by some of the, the, the senior by some of the senior members and by some of the new members. Each task force is devoted to an idea, and their job is is to help uh, flesh out the Republican agenda and the messaging on that agenda. Uh, McHenry of of, uh, of North Carolina, jobs in the economy. Uh, you know, we got a tremendous young member from Louisiana who's talking about energy and climate and conservation. We got Mike McCall, who who represents part of uh, the county in which I live, Travis County, who's going to be the lead on China. Uh, you know, a guy from New York, Catco, who represents a district that Joe Biden won and that Hillary Clinton won, and yet he's the Republican congressman. His is domestic security, Jim Jordan, Americans' freedom. we got uh, uh, McMorris Rogers of Washington State on technology. This is important because Republicans cannot rely simply on attacking Biden. That's important. Attack, you know, to, to say what we have to say about each of these proposals that he's coming out with. But we also have to have an agenda that we can take to the American people that says we're going to strive to do things that are smarter, better, common sense, and get to the place that you want to get to. And that's going to be really important to persuade those those uh, swing voters in 2020. This is going to be a check and a balance election. We need to talk about the checking. We need to check the excesses of the Democrats, but we need to provide balance with a positive and optimistic agenda that says to swing voters, hey, it's worth voting for the Republicans. How, how important is it for McCarthy and Cheney to get along? Well, it's important. And, and look, my sense is they get along. They, they got a different view on this, and they're going to get asked questions by the press. And, and they've got to, you know, they both of them have got to find a way to downplay this and not let them, because the press right. wants to write that the Republican Party is at war with each other. And, and look, they do have different views, but they are united in their view that we must, A, stop the Biden agenda, and B, win back the, right. the control of the House by, by laying out a positive agenda. You would not have – look, I've talked to both of them. Both of them believe that we will win in 2022 if we make this campaign not simply about – what the failings of the Biden administration and all the spending, all the expansion of government, all the new bureaucracy and D.C. statehood and forced unionization and, and nationalization of our elections, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But by also laying out an agenda. And I think that is a really important thing for our leaders to be committed to. And then they, they did so in Orlando by saying, OK, here's the next step. These seven people are going to lead the task forces. They're going to have cobbled together members representing the diversity of our party, and we're going to be talking about ideas. Understood. Uh, $310 million for uh, Guatemala and other uh, nations in that area for humanitarian aid, so they stopped coming here. 
without any strings attached saying they have to secure their own border or strings attached saying where it's got to go. Have you ever heard of a more naive pledge in your life? Uh, I, you know, this is naive. Now, now, let me be clear. I do believe it is important for us to support financially these countries in the so-called triangle in order to reduce the pressure on our border. But, but realize this. You're absolutely right. It has to be tied to specific actions, specific oversight, specific projects that are measurable and monitoring and able to be monitored. And, and second of all, we need to do this with the understanding that it is not going to cause an immediate result. Look, I was part of an administration that worked hard to end catch and release, and it took us three years to do so. And there was aid to Guatemala and Nicaragua and El Salvador. But it didn't have an overnight effect. And you need to stop. The principal vehicle that will stop the attack on our border is to say, if you come here, you will be sent back. You, we, were, we will have, a, we will have physical barriers, Simple. including a wall, that will stop you from coming here. But if you get around those or get over them or get under them, we're going to take you and return you to your country. So it's going to be wasted effort on your part. That's not the message we're sending today. Carl, I got you fired up today. I think that uh, I'm worried that you're not going to be able to perform if you're booked for any other show. You know what? On the day that I come on your show, I only go on your radio program because I want to be at my best. All right, good. I don't care what happens to the rest of the network. Carl, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank you, buddy. All All right, when we come back, we find out if indeed I need to know more. Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everyone. I'm just wondering if there's indeed more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. All right, here we go. Floyd Mayweather against somebody I don't know but I know of. I watched him fight once. Logan Paul set for June 6th in Miami. This guy got in a brawl on the sideline with another UFC guy because I guess he talks a lot of smack. It's going to be June Smith at the Hard Rock uh, Stadium in Miami. Uh, Mayweather's got a habit of not entertaining, but we're getting a lot of money and never losing. He's not going to lose to this guy, is he? No, and you know what? He may be uh, boring or not entertaining, but he is one of the, if not the smartest fighter because he just knows how to win. He he could just Mm. play with you and just take you out when he needs to. Uh, If they ever gave uh, points for aggression, he would be a better fighter and more entertaining, even more famous, I think. February 20th, uh, he shot an exhibition. Remember, he... Uh, he had some success against a mixed martial arts fighter, so we'll see what happens next. I'll tell you what, though. I've, to make the amount of money he makes for not entertaining people is, is also a major accomplishment. Yep, gossip can actually be good for you. That, according to Dartmouth, glad they're working on good, important stuff at Dartmouth. Uh, despite the negative reputation, a new study finds gossip can actually be a good thing for people to spread it. Study uh, The study shows that authors say that gossip isn't just about passing on rumors and saying bad things. In fact... Their report reveals it also serves to create social connections. It even helps people learn new things about the world they haven't experienced yet while talking behind somebody's back. Can I, can I share some gossip with you? Absolutely. I want to feel better about myself. Eric, Go- I hear gossip that Eric likes to sleep with teddy bears and wear underoos. I, I can't tell you confirm, what, I feel better sure. about myself already. Gossip is a complex form of communication, they say, that is often misunderstood. It can be a means of social and substantive connection. I'm not buying it. How is this done? The previous study finds that 14% of people... Uh, people's daily conversations classify as gossip. I think it's more. Yeah, they say as long as it would, most of it they say is being, quote, neutral in tone. 
USA Today under fire for allowing Stacey Abrams to retroactively edit an op-ed. Can you believe this? Because it looked like she was calling for the boycott that happened and that caused $600 million to be lost from mostly black-owned businesses, she's now changing the way the USA Today editorial reads. Unbelievable. Uh, they watered it down, so it doesn't sound like she was in that much in support of the boycotts that slammed Georgia. Do you believe that? The governor tweeted this out. The left spends weeks spreading lies, promoting boycotts, and their pals in the national media cover their tracks. Stacey Abrams can't have it both ways. Hardworking Georgian deserves the truth, and they got screwed by her mistruths about the Georgia voting laws. I'm Brian Kilmeade. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to briankilmeade.com, order any of my books. I sign them, and I send them. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.